interested in now? Bitch, I need to be sauteed. Don't keep me under the heat lamp. I'm like risotto. You need to stand and stir <laughs> oh, me yeah. constantly. Hello, world. I'm in lockdown, girl. It's misbehavior. Welcome, listeners, to the Misbehavior Journal Club. I'm Amiel Marino, PhD, here with... Tom Hage, recurring character. And we are two certifiably funny people, bringing you the behind-the-scenes look at the latest neuroscience research with humor, selective hearing, and humanity. Hey, Tom. Hey, Amiel, how you doing? I'm moderate to okay. <laughs> Fair to midland? <laughs> yeah, that's what my mom would say. Así, así. Ah, yes, it's one of the few Spanish phrases I know. Oh, nice. Is así, así. <laughs> because I was depressed even in Spanish in the eighth grade. <laughs> que bueno. <laughs> no, no es bueno. No es bueno? Qué lástima. <laughs> Qué oh, lástima. pobrecito. Oh, Dios mío. Uh, pobrecita. Oh. Perdóname. Look at you go, doing it in a language that isn't your original one. And that's the extent of my Espanol. Yeah. Now I know a little bit more than that. I've been practicing every day. I stopped uh, Esperanto. Every day. I stopped every day. Todos los días. Uh, I, I switched back to uh, my first love, Spanish, and I kind of thought to myself, you know, I was doing Esperanto because of uh, fear of failure, classic fear of failure. Uh -huh. If I fail at Esperanto, uh, it doesn't really oh. matter. But if I uh, actually try to do Spanish again and then get demotivated as I did last time, then I'll feel bad about myself. Uh, but so far, I've, uh, I've actually utilized it fairly effectively with some uh, people that were repairing my ceiling recently and they commented me on my excellent spanish and Ew. i appreciate Doesn't that. that feel good yeah yeah it really does so i'm still yeah. still working at it and committed to it that's awesome and mind expanding indeed it's important to exercise your brain well i am going to be purposely not exercising my brain coming up here my Surprise, I'm going on a cruise. It's a surprise cruise. <laughs> I did not know this was happening. Surprise cruise! My my incredibly childish stepfather basically backed out of a cruise that was his idea with my mom. And so now she needs someone to go with her. And I'm going on something that I am uh, a little bit morally opposed to. I don't Because it's a cruise in general? Because it's really bad for the environment, and mm. it's a floating Petri dish right in the middle of a pandemic. And I was so upset at her for doing this as a elderly woman <laughs> to decide to go on the pleasure cruise with her equally elderly uh, husband, and now I'm doing it. Well, I mean, I guess you're supposed to do that when you're old. You're supposed to play shuffleboard and not give a fuck anymore. Yeah, I will. <laughs> About leaving the world a fair and, and livable environment for your literal offspring. You're supposed to make them fair and... You're, you're supposed to not contribute to the demise of the very environment that you brought your offspring into, but... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Since when has that been a thing that parents do? <laughs> well, I mean, ideally, I guess, but... No, I mean, that's something they should do, but when in the history of the planet... Yeah. Yeah, of course <laughs> you're right. Have we not assumed an eternal supply? Great. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go see some glaciers in Alaska on this cruise that my traveling to see them is part of their demise, which is just an irony that I'm so upset about. <laughs> Are you going to eat a polar bear steak? 
Mmm, yum yums. Wash it down with some Coca-Cola. Hey, maybe you'll see a seal or a seal lion. I'll know the difference now. Indeed you will. Mmm, delicious rock sausages. Rock sausage! Which one goes better with the Syrah? Alright, it's time for Notable News. In this segment, we're going to briefly present a number of noteworthy events or findings or just whatever the fuck we want to uh, for this episode from the world of science. science! This is a Tom episode. I've been really busy. Which means it's definitely whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah, he doesn't know what a research journal is. <laughs> Me read one day. And by the way, you guys disparaged my reading ability. I want to say the last thing I did read, you put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, about yeah. What is the last thing you even read, mister, with actual words and paper and blah, 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 blah. Eyeball reading, I think is what Leah called it. Whether the information gets into your, into your brain for one pathway or another, you're still receiving that information. But <laughs> Visual text learning versus auditory learning, different pathways. It all goes to the same place. Yeah, well, I mean... But the activity of reading a book and listening to a book are significantly different enough that we can we can tell we, it, we can feel the difference between the two activities. I did. I read a fabulous uh, graphic novel called Paper Girls, and I recommend it to anyone. Yes, it is a graphic novel, uh, but it's about 800 pages long and uh, with pictures. Yeah. Yeah. With pictures, just like a movie. It had an 800-page count. I read it every day. It was entire. It was extremely absorbing. So it would be like 200 pages of words without pictures, maybe. Well, I actually did a word count on it. Uh, it's it's about 200 pages. So if you just took all the pictures out and you just put the words together, it would have been a 200-page novel. But you have to also consider that it, it took longer to read than a 200-page novel because there's fantastic detailed artwork. Again, Paper Girls, I highly recommend it. Um, it is kind of similar to Stranger Things, except it involves the exploits of a group of 12-year-old girls who have a paper route, and they run into a mystery that takes them into crazy and wild tangents. And it's set in 1988, and it's got a lot of nostalgia, and it's very precise with its nostalgia so much that i had to look up when stranger things was made versus this we're in notable news what are you doing telling you i know how to read and i've um, and and there's i like audiobooks anyway um good book i read it i know how to read and what i read recently was instagram okay how's that for right. smarty well, being a smarty you pants well there is a far more erudite than we give you credit for <sighs> yes, and uh, urbane. I don't know what that word means, but it sounds good. <laughs> Any words that start with a vowel sound like smarter to me. I don't know what it is. Urbane. Erudite. <laughs> Antipathy. Asphyxiation. Autoerotic. Asinine. So this is from an Instagram account called Nicole's Neuroscience. And she posts uh, little graphics with handy how-tos. In fact, I saw this reposted on Reddit's Cool Guides. Mm -hmm. And much like most of those cool guides, I read one and go, oh, that's cool. And I save it to my phone. And then I look in the comments and read about how it's horrible, bad <laughs> advice, and the worst thing that anyone has ever put on the internet. But... <laughs> 
thankfully, there's a lot of astute white knights uh, here to uh, tear down a, um, a female. Oh, good. <laughs> called Nicole. Not related to our friend Nicole Davies, by that the way. That we know of. I don't, <laughs> I don't think you can Maybe. say that so definitively. Maybe that's his alt. Wow. You know, track. So basically, it's just a handy guide that says how to self-regulate using neuropsychology. Hmm. And it lists... One, two, three, four, five, six things. It says, stressed, breathe using psychological sigh. See Huberman okay. Lab. Oh, I actually, I think I said breathe using psychological sigh, not physiological sigh. And I guess you're right, Amiel. I can't read. <laughs> so. I'm not happy I'm right, but I am. Hmm. She's right. Did you just sigh? Even... Was that a physiological sigh? Mm. I'm doing it again. So much. See, that's why I, I feel so at ease with you is because you prompt so many physiological sighs from me. <laughs> Anxious? Walk for amygdala deactivation. Sad? Acknowledge your feelings, then move your body to release endorphins. Impulsive or angry? Dilate your gaze. And in parentheses, look out the window to blunt noradrenaline release so you can think mm. clearly. Low motivation? Focus on one spot on your screen for one minute to release noradrenaline. Pupillary convergence increases focus. And finally, low self-worth slash insecure. Write down your strengths. This engages logical thinking, which overrides the limbic system. Huh, okay. I think the neuroscientist in me wants to look up every single one of those things right now. Guess what the armchair psychologist did? Who's that? With time on his hands on a Saturday. What is it? I looked up stuff on the internet. Oh, okay. I looked up too much stuff. Do you believe in QAnon now? No. Okay, Jesus well, Christ. what did you look up? I looked at a lot of articles. Um, so, first, the, um, the stress thing, breathe using physiological sigh. The physiological sigh is uh, mentioned in... Uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman's podcast called Huberman Lab. I looked this guy up. He seems to be, from my standpoint, a uh, respected figure in the neuroscience community, but I don't know. Yeah, I recently heard about this podcast. Cool. We'll put a link to his podcast in the show notes. He's not the author, but um, I found a paper that supports his claims in the video regarding the psi technique. Without so many words, if you feel stressed, take a deep breath, which... Uh, we hear all the time. It's amazing how biologically dumb I can be that when I'm stressed, my body responds by saying, oh, that's tough. Now let's try the same thing without any oxygen. <laughs> Anxious? <laughs> Walk for amygdala deactivation. There's that pesky amygdala again. Seems like he keeps Thanks. showing up in every episode. And I didn't really find anything about that. Yeah. Huh, uh, I don't know why walking would do that. I don't know. I, I've Ooh, definitely questionable. walked around if I felt stressed or anxious or needed to exercise. But all right. So continuing along, it says sad, acknowledge your feelings and then move your body to release dorphins. Um, I just remember uh, a wise aphorism that goes, get up off of that thing and dance till you feel better. Get up off of that thing. and Try to release that pressure. That was from a <laughs> Brown, comma, James, 1976. Oh, where was that published? 
Um, Motown Records? A&M Records? Yeah, I think so. I I was one. Okay. <laughs> so I wasn't paying attention. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> yes, of course. Hey, if the if the aphorism is from James Brown, do we call it an aphorism? <laughs> uh, moving on, impulsive, angry, dilate your gaze. Look out the window, it says in parentheses, to blunt noradrenaline release so you can think to clearly. To blunt noradrenaline release so you can think clearly. If you've re- already released noradrenaline, it's in your system. I mean, you can, they want you to blunt it, but that doesn't mean it's going to deactivate what's already there. It's a paper that focuses on a very small sample size, N equals 24, of PTSD Mm. sufferers. They ran through an exercise that had them do goal-directed eye movements and working memory tasks to deactivate the amygdala, the core neural substrate of fear learning, as they put it. In this study, they found that the PTSD patients were more able to experience fear extinction. The lessening of their anxiety doesn't necessarily stand to reason that it's going to work for the general population. But it's a little disingenuous to just put that on a, a fun little guide on, on your neuroscience uh, Insta yeah. account uh, as if it's going to work for the general population it's a very different Uh, brain one that has ptsd versus one that doesn't and i had to have a conversation with someone recently that was making the generalization as though oh well we've all experienced trauma and then equating that to oh we all kind of have types of ptsd okay no like one's like really clinically defined and the other one is just unfortunate side effects of being a human in the world yeah, that's that's kind of uh, akin to the, uh, oh, I am so starving. Ah, uh, sure. You're not. You need to sure, stop. you're not. You're not. Starving. Or like when people in <laughs> in Seattle are like, oh, it's freezing, and I'm like, no, no, it is constantly hovering right above freezing. <laughs> I think um, it would be way more entertaining for Nicole's Instagram account if, when she was making this list of things for just one of them, impulsive, angry, too bad. Deal with it. It's <laughs> what your mom and dad did. They they do indicate that uh, as they call the amygdala, the core neural substrate of fear learning. Um, and I remember you and Leah uh, having a fun time at the amygdala and the simplification of it. It just made me think that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, and the amygdala is the core neural substrate of fear learning. Yep. It, it tracks the same way as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> And and as far as using this in your in your daily life, how's it going to work? Like like you're mad at your significant other and you're just like, I'm so mad at you right now. I can't even look at you. Turn to look out the window for a moment and then turn around and say, anyway, what's for dinner? I don't think that's going to work. I've had arguments with significant others. I've had heated arguments and there have been windows nearby. (laughs) Sure, I've looked out of them. Don't remember them helping. It says dilate your eyes, so you're like widening your eyes. Well, if you're, it's saying if you look at something off into the distance and let your eyes dilate, then it will release. What did it say? It'll blunt your neuroadrenaline. Blunt noradrenaline. Thank you, thank you, science lady. All right. Yeah. What was the next one? Yeah, this other one deals with eye movements as well. Uh, low motivation. Focus on one spot on your screen to release. Noradrenaline. 
They're Pupil- assuming you're not motivated at your screen. Pupillary focus increases focus. And this was from a study about kids with attention deficit disorder inattentive type. And they found that they were a little bit more attentive after doing the test where you stare at a specific spot on the screen waiting for a specific stimulus to appear and you have your finger over the space bar and you you tap it only when that specific stimulus. And so you have to really focus on that. And they found, hey, after the kids have been doing this and then we gave them another task, uh, they were more focused. It seems to me like having trouble reading the sentence you read three times, just read it harder. Yeah. uh, I wonder if it had anything to do with your pupillary response. What if you had them do a test where they had to hear really carefully for something? And so they had to focus on what they were hearing versus what they were looking at. Oh, that doesn't increase focus on the next task that they do? Yeah, I guess it's auditory versus visual focus, and that could be a whole can of worms. I don't know. Anyways... Uh, And then finally, low self-worth, just write down your strengths. But as a uh, commenter pointed out, if you're feeling like you don't have any strengths, then you don't have the ability to write down your strengths because you have an inability to recognize them. (laughs) So, yeah, writing down a list of my strengths. Number one, none of my skills are marketable. Number two, crying. (laughs) That's the list. (laughs) I've had instances where I've been trying to do one of those gratitude things that's supposed to help when you're having moments of depression. I don't know. Anyways, I remember it was hard for me to find things that I could be grateful for. And one of them was like, my feet don't hurt. And I remember starting to cry because I was like, that's what I have going for me. My feet don't hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Had the opposite effect. Exactly. (laughs) Unrelated, uh, the commenter that wrote that uh, feeling down on themselves, his his comment or her comment uh, was preceded by several other Redditors saying, hey, I just looked through your post history and holy shit, you're bilingual. And oh, look at this post. You can really use a blender effectively. That was a (laughs) cool recipe. And all these other examples. It was honestly touching. Oh, I had one of those instances once on Reddit that was really sweet. It was so wonderful how the internet can give and take with both hands. That's nice. Yeah. Well, that's the size of it. Uh, Nicole's Neuroscience is an interesting Instagram that got reposted to r slash cool guides. And I subscribed to her because uh, it's fun to look at all of those pithy little guides anyway sure yeah thank you for bringing it to the show none of it hurts it all hurts i think it's time for our feature journal article all right i've been watching bob's burgers too (laughs) this episode i amiel will be i can't believe i wrote it like that I, Amiel, will be presenting an article published in the journal Neuroscience titled A Neurodevelopmental Shift in Reward Circuitry from Mothers to Non-Familial Voices in Adolescence. The research is out of Stanford Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. The first author is Abrams and the last author is Menon. The alternative dumbed-down title for this might be, Yes, your teenager doesn't listen to you, and that's okay. 
I mean, what are you going to do? You know, they've made so many viable options illegal now. So (sighs) some background here. A bunch of papers in mice have already suggested that there's this major switch in focus that's represented in the brain of social mammals when they transition from childhood to adulthood uh, during what's called the jailbait period of development or adolescence. Changes in the reward pathway result in the favoring of non-familial and novel stimuli. The jailbait period of development? (laughs) (laughs) That's a period right before adulthood and uh, after childhood. They they call it that? No! (laughs) You're calling it that. I'm calling it that. Oh my god. All right, so what this paper did was not cite any of this research in mice, which makes me a little bit uh, frustrated. I think it's unfair for scientists who use humans, human researchers, to not cite evidence found by researchers who use non-humans, because the argument usually made in these grants by non-human researchers is that their findings are applicable to humans, because usually they can be. And so not citing them does them a disservice and also decrease the likelihood that they can get funding. By just saying that it's true in the brain of of mice and then therefore assuming it's the same in, in humans? I'm not saying assume. I'm saying there's previous evidence in social mammals why don't we look at it with people, is something that human researchers should do and cite more often. Sure. That, that makes sense. The research we're going to be talking about is in functional magnetic resonance imaging, that's fMRI, and it's used in research to study brain activity via blood flow. So if an area has higher blood flow, then it's more active or metabolic, and it's eating up all that yummy blood. Yum, yum, yum blood. Ew. Recent research using fMRI has identified a functional brain circuit. So these are a bunch of areas in the brain that all seem to be conversing with one another at the same time. A functional brain circuit in children that selectively engages when they're hearing the voice of their mothers. Makes sense. So this previous research in children found that there is an increase in activity to the sound of their mother's voice in auditory areas um, that deal with speech. And that's in the temporal lobe, the superior temporal gyrus. Also, there's increase in the reward processing areas, such as the anterior insula, nucleus accumbens, and orbitofrontal cortex. That's for people who research these things. Maybe these words don't mean anything, and that's just fine. You don't need to look them up. But also, there's an increase in what is called the default mode network. The default mode network, to put it complexly, is a collection of brain areas, including parts of the prefrontal cortex and the cingulate cortex, which are more active during rest than during active thinking. And there's a school of thought that this network is actively representing the elusive self, because it's engaged specifically at times when one considers one's self. Now, the distinction between active and rest versus thinking of self and not self, I'm not quite sure of, and yeah. neither do the researchers. It's just... Of your, it, yeah, it would seem if you're thinking of yourself, uh, 
that's definitely a higher order activity that ostensibly only Homo sapiens can do. No, wait, no. Other animals are capable of thinking, thinking of about themselves. themselves. Most likely. Okay, in a fundamental way, but I'm talking about in a like, what do I identify with? What what is me? Who am I in general? Mm-hmm. If they're meaning it in a much more fundamental way, then I I get that. Yes. When I was looking at some of this research that occurred at the turn of the century, that's a scary thing to say of something that's occurred in my lifetime. When they were referring to self, it was, let's have participants read or consider a choice decision task in which they have to consider themselves in a position versus let's have them consider the environmental conditions. And one activated this default mode network and one did not. So the default mode network is a crazy question mark right now when it comes to the brain. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I hope it all is because I'm doing a podcast about it. I hope there's listeners that are more than just Tom. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're still downloading it like 50 times from different computers and stuff, yes, right? I've made so many different okay. accounts. Good. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so we know that attention to social things can change during development, which is the research that these authors cited instead of any non-human research. But right. we don't know very much about this change during development. Adolescence has some pronounced social changes that occur. So what might be happening to this familial favoring and what might be happening specifically to voice processing during familial favoring? Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely pronounced social changes. I can attest to that. Oh? You know, I've created offspring against my better judgment. Um, Ew. And this is a familiar topic to me. I have a couple teenagers. Oh my um, god, they both are right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. one just switched over. Yeah. He flipped the switch and now he's punching the wall and throwing things around. The oh, he was doing that before. He turned, <laughs> right. He was. He came out of the vagina doing that. He was very upset. He, he's, uh, he's a sensitive kid. He's getting better. Okay. Um, Keep on saying that. He really is. <laughs> He is maturing, but at the same time, he's more teenifying, and that's uh-huh. that's different. And his his yeah. attitudes are becoming different. And as far as this paying more attention to familial voices or even stimuli in general, it's definitely not favoring dad so much. Although he <laughs> really, really, really wants to see Doctor Strange with me and only me, and that makes me so so happy. they've been with their mom for two weeks so as soon as he gets back we're watching Doctor Strange but most of the time if I ask him anything I come into this room he's like yeah bye (laughs) shut shut my door shut my door dad look there's more examples of my kids and anytime on the show they end up coming up and I'm sure they will in future episodes but I did ask some of my friends uh, as well for examples Um, Uh I've got a few Friends, congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, I've worked really hard. And it's difficult when, you know, you're pushing 50. Uh, So my friend John, he's specifically frustrated at this particular thing that his daughter does. Uh, He says, 
he might pick her up from school and have the normal, hey, how was your day talk? And, mm-hmm. and she says, what's for dinner? And he'll say, for instance, spaghetti. And then you get to the driveway, and as soon as you pull in, before she gets out of the car, Dad, what's for dinner? Honey, it's, we're having spaghetti. Okay. And you walk to the door. It's not a long walk. <laughs> you open the door to a house filled with the aroma of spaghetti. Oh, Father. <laughs> Whatever shall we have for dinner? It's goddamn spaghetti! <laughs> it's fucking spaghetti. God damn it, kid. Oh, great. Oh, poor John. John is an excellent cook, and if he's listening, shout out to John, and I would bet <laughs> every single item of food you've ever touched that I've put in my mouth is delicious. I've never had your spaghetti, but I'll bet it is off the charts. All right. Anyway, I got Coming another one. Coming up in the charts, John's spaghetti. Spaghetti with a bullet! I accidentally swallowed it! See a doctor! So here's another one from... Uh, this one doesn't involve listening to voices, but it's tangentially related and involves sound. Okay. And, you know, you you bring me on the show for I'm my... I'm not asking for very much from you, so please tell me... Well, you bring me on the show for my I... talent for going on tangents! Sure, or Leah's busy, you know, either one. <laughs> Harley is busy. So another friend named Jessica mentioned a time when her child went to one of those regular school uh, hearing tests, uh, screening, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and she didn't get any of the sounds, not one. Uh, what do you mean didn't get? He, she didn't raise her hand that she, she could hear them? Like, yeah, you put on the headphones. Yeah. And beep, beep. And you're supposed to raise your hand. You know, we've yes. all done that. And she she got none of them. Oh God! You, you know she was she didn't respond to any of the stimulus in the proper manner, and uh, stimuli. The, the n- stimuli. Uh, I don't have a PhD. <laughs> um, <laughs> you learned that PhD school. The first thing you learn in PhD school is how to correct plurals versus singulars while somebody's telling you a story. I'll say you're excellent That's at fair. that. I'm so good at it. PhD level. So the assistant pulled Jessica aside, saying, "Ma'am." We think your child is deaf. Oh my god! Uh, you you need to take her to a doctor. She needs to see a specialist uh, right away. And and of course, Jessica is flabbergasted at this news. But like any good mom, though, she took her child to an auditory specialist for further testing. Uh-huh. And and the kid just aced it, no problem, one hundred out of one hundred, or however many they did. And Jessica's like, what? the hell happened at school and a little rascal just goes i didn't feel like raising my hand oh my god how much money did that just cost the ball yeah kids are expensive and, and dumb all sorts of ways that you're not gonna account for oh god kids are fucking stupid yeah they are um let's let's talk about how they get maybe a little bit smarter over the jailbait period of development. The jailbait period. Is that the first period that you get? Oh, if you're a little God. girl. Oh, I, oh, she just got her jailbait period. <laughs> so the hypothesis of this paper is maybe this is why my children don't listen to me anymore. And the only meaningful <laughs> companionship I have is with my gifted Labrador meatball. <laughs> I love meatball. That's the name of Abrams. Adored oh, pet. Wait, stop. 
This is another example of if you don't write out what your hypothesis is, I'm going to make up one for you and I'm going to look up that your dog's name is Meatball. Okay, what they did say was that their quote unquote primary goal was to find what developmental changes occur in the processing of mother versus non-familial voices in the brain during adolescence. So as far as the the methods uh, that was used for this, um, it was actually pretty interesting and I'm impressed with it. They used fake words to avoid semantic neural systems. And when I read that, I just interpreted that as shortcuts. Uh, like mm. if you have a, a bad phone connection and you're hearing every other word, but you still can make out what the person's saying be- through context and mm. familiarity with, with the words, you can fill in the gaps and stuff like that. But if they remove these shortcuts, it forces the child to really focus on the voice because it's these nonsense words that their brain's not gonna be familiar with. Yeah. I think that's a really smart way to isolate the target of interest and reduce noise in what would otherwise be a, what is already a complex undertaking. Yeah, that's the type of feedback that you get uh, when you're designing a study from some asshole in the back of the room who's like, yeah, but what if they're just guessing through context and they're not actually focusing on what's actually... And you're like, fuck, okay, uh, fine. Um, what if we... And then some some person... Not during this research study, but a previous one was like, okay, fake word time. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of science. There are these fake words that already exist. These very specific fake words have been created to be complex, and they're part of an existing test for phonological capabilities. It's called the Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing, or the CTOPP. CTOP. The CTOP. 1999. It's from 1999, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just testing your ability to understand phonemes and not words necessarily themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just want to note that when I looked that up, the current test is called the CTOP2, and that was published in 2013, and this paper was published in 2022, so I don't know why they did the CTOP1. Maybe they're just like, all right, asshole, (laughs) CTOP, done, next, I don't have time for this bullshit. I like that insight because it's probably a personal vendetta against the person who created (laughs) CTOP2 in 2013. Yes, personal vendettas, they exist in science. Maybe that was the asshole in the back. Might I suggest uh, my comprehensive test of the update to the existing one? No, go fuck yourself! Oh. (laughs) Why don't you see this? And it's just a middle finger. (laughs) (laughs) C-top, a one. (laughs) And you hold the middle finger up to indicate that's the number I prefer. This is the second episode in a row where flipping the bird has become part of an audio show. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Right. So these words are all similar uh, as well but they differ by only one phoneme, hmm. uh, thereby forcing fine-grained processing and decoding. Oh, um, Tom, why don't you say the actual words? Can you look them up? Yeah, the actual oh, wait, words... no one cares, because you're a father. The... Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yes, the truth is, while Tom is looking up these words, no one cares what it sounds like when he's saying it. This is a maternal paper and the biggest annoyance that somebody studying maternal anything can have is when somebody raises their hand in the back that same guy that i mentioned from before he's also in the back of the room in this case going oh what about fathers no one cares about fathers we're studying moms that tracks (laughs) 
the words themselves are Tabidishalt, Kabidishalt, and Pabidishalt. It's so hard to say. <laughs> His entire body audience was on the edge of its seat for that last Pabidishalt. I tensed my entire body to get... Really wanted to do it right. Shalt. Oh, you're trying. He's trying. <laughs> yeah, these are designed to be difficult to say and difficult to process and understand uh, on purpose. All of these words are four syllables. They have a different word, initial, and place of articulation, which makes for a challenging and realistic simulation of real words. Mm. These are hard words. I mean, as soon as I read them, before going any further, I just sort of stopped and stared into space and said, Tabidishalt, Kabidishalt, Pabidishalt. And I just kept doing it because I was like, these are crazy words and these are hard to say. Why are they hard to say? And then, of course, I read the explanation that I just told you. Did you also uh, feel a decrease in your impulsive slash anger? Uh, because you were dilating your gaze while you're looking outside a window to blunt neuroadrenaline release so you can think clearly? Probably. I was focusing really hard on saying those words aloud to an audience of my cat. Anyway, after they were introduced to these weird words, they had them repeat them and repeat them and repeat them until they could do it without uh, too many errors. Uh, and then to get the cadence and the sound right, they had them use them in a sentence in which they were pretending that they were in an engaging uh, time with their child, like mm -hmm. at a museum, going, Johnny, that is a Kabidi shalt. <laughs> they really put these mothers through the ringer. I'm impressed. They had to say, Michael, this is a Kabidi shalt. Look at this Kabidi shalt. Anyway, they recorded all of these 30 times, took the best three of each, and then further normalized those for length mm -hmm. so that they were all the exact same length and they sounded close enough. And then the non-familiar voices did the exact same method and they recorded the same time. In the end, they had 27 samples. Uh, so if you put three nonsense words times three repetitions times three speakers, then all presented twice in random order for a total of 54 trials. So pretty good. Uh, and the kids had to determine if the nonsense words they were listening to were that of their mother or a non-familial voice and a non-familial voice compared to environmental noises. They recorded noises like a dishwasher, a washing machine. And before and after each run, they, they did something called the kitty cat game. And the non-familial voices were also mothers. They made sure that, you know, just in case during pregnancy, you experience some change in your tone that makes it more uh, receptive to children who are hearing, look, Johnny, it's Kabidi Schalt. They made sure that they took care of that by using yeah. mothers also for their non- It was just a really interesting little, That's like... Attention to detail. Yeah. Uh, guy in the brow gun. Uh, what if there is a heretofore unknown <laughs> aspect of a, of a mother's voice versus uh, some bitch that never had kids? You know, maybe some there's something bitch. we can't hear or detect, like pheromones, but it's like auditory pheromones and they exist and we don't know about it. And in 50 oh, years, your research is shit. This jerk. Kyle, shut. How did you get back in here? Okay. Um, so the kid. I work at McDonald's. So the kitty game, that was an interesting little thing that wasn't, you know, sometimes you're rewarded for reading the methods section, and the kitty game was my reward. Oh, yeah. During the kitty game, 
the kids are in the fMRI. They're laying down into the scanner and they're shown a brief video of a cat because that's what they know people will pay attention to is cats. And they were told the goal of this kitty cat game was to listen to a variety of sounds, including, quote, voices that may be familiar and to push a button on a button box once they heard a cat meow. And those were catch trials or cat trials. This is a trial and experiment in which uh, the stimuli isn't what they're really interested in, but the participants' responses are recorded, and it's part of setting the scene of the experiment. So even though the kids are told purpose is to pay attention to cat meows, which, you know, is never mentioned in the methods exactly where these cat sounds are coming from. Were they mother cats? Were they male (laughs) cats? (laughs) That was my first thought. (laughs) Were the cats moms? Kyle, get the fuck out of here. Did you did you put a cat in the MRI and have it press the button? Okay, so that was really... Uh, so we've, what, we've what? talked way too much about the methods, so we've got okay. to move on, right? The and methods the- is the most fascinating part of this, I think. Oh, okay. I didn't quite understand why they used the kitty cat game, and I thought, is there need for some sort of palate cleanser of, of sorts before and after each trial? Mm-hmm. I think that they were looking for activation of attention rather than focus attention. My guess is that they're not trying to tell the kids, all right, prime yourself to pay attention, because that might skew if they're more likely to pay attention to a mother or a non-mother. If it's just background, if you're on the playground and you're playing a real life kitty cat game (laughs) and you hear a voice, which one are you going to respond to? I think that's what they were going for. In one, they know they're being tested for a specific thing, and in the other, they they don't know. This is why you never trust a scientist. Never. So what did they find? They found that as the age of the children increased, the responses to any human voice increased. So they're gaining an ability to detect voices. So tell me if this is true, Tom. As your kid got older, did you find they were better able to be responsive to you at all? Um, no, they okay. Their, next their response lowers was... <laughs> to me, but to their friends certainly. They're jumping at their beck and call. It was as if over time, these little humans were better at tuning in to social sounds in general. That makes sense. They also found an age-related increase in the response to non-familial voices compared to the mother's voice in the reward regions of the brain, such as the nucleus accumbens. So the younger children showed a preference for the mother's voice in these reward regions compared to the non-familial voice, and also in the ventral medial prefrontal cortex. Whereas the older adolescents They preferred the non-familial voices in that they had their reward sections of their brain more active compared to the mother's voice. This occurred in the mesolimbic reward system and the default mode network that we still don't quite understand. Yeah, it's like, mom, when you buy your kid that shiny new iPhone, (laughs) uh, you really expect them to call you? They're calling their friends. I don't know why you pay for these fancy phones that they just end up breaking. Well, I don't buy the phones. They have old phones that I've repaired usually because uh, I'm a nerd. 
I love doing stuff like that anyway. But yeah, I've got to pay the monthly service fee for them and then they don't respond to me. I can tell they're talking to their friends, though, obviously. <laughs> well, now you know why. And uh, if you are upset about that, you're upset about a natural human condition. Maybe I need to go into their phones in the contacts when they're sleeping and <laughs> and change my contact name from dad to <laughs> whatever their friend or their current crush is. So then when but I'd have to just keep that up every few days or every week or so. Like, oh wow, Ashley's calling me. Hey son, where are you? What? <laughs> no, Ashley, not like this. What did you do? Where's Ashley's contacts? <laughs> oh, I have her listed under grandma now. Oh, Sorry, Gavin. <laughs> That's how to confuse your kid. That's how to raise them right. So this default mode network that we still don't quite understand, and we think that it has something to do with how people are thinking of themselves in the world. Yeah, that makes sense to me, because when you are younger, you do rely on your mom, your dad, your, your caregivers of the community uh, for survival, literal survival. And as you get older, you need to uh, be more aware of your social surroundings because you've got those fundamental survival skills down pat. You know how to find the berries and you know where not to poop. <laughs> That's the first two things you learned in kindergarten. <laughs> All right, kids, where do you find the berries and where do we not poop? <laughs> Kyle, you messed up again. Kyle again. So in summary, there are underlying reasons for seeking out the stimuli that we do. Your children will abandon you. Free will doesn't exist. There is no God. The earth is dying. Kill the rich. Amen. So healthy adolescent social development, healthy, involves a shift in motivation away from the mother. There's a field of study looking at this preference for novelty in adolescence. The reward systems of adolescent children are more sensitive to novelty in general. And what mm. this research found is that also applies to auditory stimuli. It makes sense uh, evolutionarily that they would want to uh, seek that out and become their own person. But yeah, it extends to auditory st stimuli as well. Sure. Yeah. I had a low light for this paper, but it wasn't quite a low light in that there was a thing in methodology that I would change, or I felt like they stopped short of actually explaining what they wanted to. Yeah. They explained in their discussion section that there is practically no way to test the familial versus familiar question inherent to all mother's voice studies. Do infants recognize their mother's voice because it's familiar or because it's their mother's voice? Familial right. is something that we're not not going to be able to find out without like extensive looking for long lost relatives. And this is how you introduce them yeah. during a study. <laughs> I've, I've got another idea. Oh, let's take that. Uh, let's take that embryo that's currently being oh, no. developed and not shove it back into your uterus, shove no. it into another uterus. So it, the baby learns the, uh, the voice of somebody else and, and then we'll test. Yeah, that would be the best way to do it. The more improper and easier way to do it would be to have the separation at birth thing. That doesn't consider the fact that the mother's voice resonates through her body when she's pregnant. And that's where the kid is and probably hearing it. So Kyle's going to be pissed. Oh, Kyle, you know, I bet you just love the sound of your mom's voice, don't you? <laughs> oh, 
Kylie, baby, does mommy need to come in and rub your good spot? Oh my god, Tom, why are you always so gross? I, I don't know. It, it's probably my default mode network. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a regular science critic because you're already using very poorly understood concepts to defend your actions. That's right. Just call me News Headline Boy without any of the substance. All right. Well, while we're talking about impossible and unethical research designs, uh, why don't we head over to Topia Corner? Topetastic. It is time for Topia Corner. This can pop up for any article we discuss. Eerie whooshing. Topia Corner is a segment where we do what scientists aren't supposed to do. We speculate wildly on the utopia or dystopia the findings of this article might create. And it looks like we came up with a very similar outcome. What if we invent a voice augmenting machine that makes a parent's voice sound like that of their child's favorite singer or crush? And you can have it say things like, did you clean your room yet? I don't like it when guys are gross. Teenage giggle. <laughs> I don't know the names of people that teenage boys might have crushes on in popular culture. Do you? Teenage boys? Yeah, Who yeah. teenage boys have crushes on? You're around up teenage boys. Do they have like popular pop? No, God damn it. Okay. I have no idea. I just, I know Gavin has kept a folder on his desktop that simply labeled hentai, but I mean, I don't <laughs> think that's a real people. <laughs> that's not a person's name? <laughs> Acting like you don't know. Girl. Okay, your oh okay. What was your utopia or dystopia? A voice augmenting machine that makes your crush's voice sound like a parent. <laughs> what would that do? New fetish unlocked when your boyfriend says, "Who's your daddy?" in your actual dad's voice. No, that's horrible. Advanced users might have to hear a dad joke after prolonged exposure. In, oh. in order in order to get off, they might say something like, Oh, God, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hi, coming, I'm your dad. That's my dystopia. That is a dystopia. You're welcome, world. <laughs> Thanks for being a parent and doing that uh, paper with me. Yeah. Apparently, I'm happy to do it. Because <laughs> I'm a dad. Can't help it. I, I don't know how that recently became an excuse for poor comedic stylings, but it has. It's, what, it's what, stupid. When did it's that like, occur? It's like people jumping on the bandwagon of saying moist is a bad word or eating pineapple on your pizza makes you a Nazi. It just it's a popular meme to uh, to adhere to. I love that that's an example of something that no actual Nazi, a member of that political group during... The 1930s and 40s in Germany, none of them ever had pineapple pizza. No. Guarantee you. Pineapples weren't invented yet. They weren't there. It was wartime. Sure, they were allies with Italy, but <laughs> that didn't mean anything. And it's just another thing to call someone a Nazi if you don't like them. I know. I know. Okay, it's time for closing ceremonies. Let's wrap this all up. Wrap it up. This is where we provide you some takeaways. These are bits of knowledge or goals. 
So my takeaway is that I'm going to be away. I'm going to actually take a break and not record an episode for two weeks from now because I'm going to a forced cruise and <laughs> won't really have the time to do the editing or research. Non-consensual cruises are the worst. <laughs> Non-consensual cruise. Oh, you know, you say non-consensual, but I bet you end up liking it. <laughs> and we're canceled. I have just heard from the network that this show is canceled. I've also just heard that there's still a network. <laughs> My job here is done. What the fuck? There's still a network? I think so. <laughs> wow. Well. I'm going to be sharing a room with my mother on a cruise ship that I really hope isn't geriatric centric. I don't know. It could be like an old people cruise and that's where I am for a week. If you, uh, if you spot an indoor pool that's full of what looks like alien cocoons, my advice, jump in it. You're going to feel great. Speaking of jumping in pools, I don't think there's going to be pools because it's Alaskan cruise. They might have like a small one that's indoor and heated. Indoor heated? Only because of the pee from overloaded diapers. Well, I think it, we've established earlier that old people don't give a fuck. So they don't need diapers or not to take a piss in the pool. Oh my God. They just they just stand on the side and piss into it. They don't even. That's the way to do it. Just like the greatest generation did. Oh, they're the worst. Okay, so my takeaway is um, stay warm, stay safe, be good to yourself while you explore your limits until the next episode. Indeed. And my takeaway in response to the negative stuff I talked about earlier that you want to avoid is uh, easy to say and hard to do. I speak from experience. Exercise regularly, drink more water, get more sleep, but easiest of all, call your mom and apologize for not listening to her all these years. It took being around one of your kids before I realized how horrible I was to my stepmom. Oh. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't the best, but I also wasn't the best. And it took being treated poorly by your son, <laughs> one of the two, before I was like, oh, shit, Susanna. Yeah, well, Susanna had the maturity to know at the time, and you didn't, so. Oh, well, that's an insult. Okay, thank you <laughs> so much for joining us oh Susanna please <laughs> follow the show on Twitter at MisbehaviorJC and Instagram at the same thing you can find me Curls PhD and Tom at Tom 2.0 thank you for allowing us into your auditory pathway hopefully we were novel enough for your entertainment and novel enough for you to tell your friends and tell your enemies just do not tell your PI about the show. They're not supposed to know. If you're a PI, share it with all your other PIs. But if you're not, don't tell them. You can subscribe and rate us, but uh, you know I've been telling you to do that this whole time and you haven't, so what, what the hell. And so fuck you. So Make your friends do it. I love you, everyone, and we hope you join the club again soon. Bye. Get up, up.